So uh, for the last couple weeks, Doyle has been talking through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, the Lord's Prayer is really six different petitions that we're petitioning or asking God for. Um, and the first half are petitions that are about God. And so let me read through those really quick to kind of give you a refresher. Matthew 6, 9 says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's three petitions that are taking place here, and they're all directed towards God. The first one is that God would make his name great in the world. The second is that he would bring his kingdom to the earth and the others. The third is that, um, that, that his will would be done. And so we have these three petitions, and then we go to the second half of the Lord's Prayer, and there's three more petitions, except these are more about petitioning things for ourselves. And so it says this, verse 11, give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so this is about bringing our needs and our wants to God, and if we're being honest, um, those of us who pray, and statistically that's a lot of us, uh, those of us who are praying people, this is our favorite part of praying. It's where we get to talk about the things that we need and the things that we want. In fact, if we're being honest, this might be our primary motivation for praying, is we're praying for things for ourselves and for the people that we love. But it's also the most frustrating part of our prayer life. Because if you've prayed before, you've had the frustration of feeling like God is not listening. You may even, and it's hard for me to admit this as a pastor, but I have those moments when I go, am I just talking to myself? Like, is anyone out there listening at all? Or is just this like an internal dialogue that I'm having right now? And it's because it doesn't feel like anyone's listening. The prayers are not answered. And so you're wondering, is this doing anything? Does prayer affect change at all? And so you begin to not only be frustrated, but just question the whole exercise. And the answer to why you and I might be frustrated with our prayer life, and this might be surprising, is because we've been doing it wrong. Now, you didn't think that you could do prayer wrong. You thought, okay, you know what? You just sit there, you talk to God just like you're sitting next to him, and then, you know, it's kind of like talking to a friend. And, and I wouldn't say that you're doing your prayer life wrong, but Jesus might say that you've been doing prayer wrong. In fact, that's exactly what he says to the disciples. So the context of the Lord's Prayer is uh, the disciples are hanging out with Jesus and they're watching him pray. And you have to realize the disciples, they're, they're Jewish men. They've been praying their entire life. They are faithful to God. And yet as they're watching Jesus pray, they're thinking, I pray, but I don't pray like that. He prays different than we pray. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray the way that you pray? And Jesus' response is not, well, just pray however you want. Whatever feels right to you, whatever works for you, just do that. No, no, no. He says, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. And then he begins the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer isn't just about the words that he says. It's about a model. It's about a blueprint. They're instructions of how we should structure our prayer life. And so he begins going through the Lord's Prayer. I realized as I was studying the Lord's Prayer this week, I've, you know, I've, I've pretty much known it my whole life, but I don't know if it's because of the season that I'm in, I'm, I'm sure it is, is it reminds me a lot of a, a construction project. So we, we just got finished with this campaign called Pass Forward where we raised a bunch of money and you guys are incredibly generous for us to be able to transform our former auditorium into a community life center. And so I have been in lots of meetings um, about building recently, uh, about uh, with architects and, and with contractors and with designers, and we've been working through all the plans, and, and you know, we're, we're kind of trying to come up with what this whole project is going to look like, and, and as we're working through everything, 
I realized that the Lord's Prayer is a lot like the process of construction. It's a lot like building a building. So just bear with me, see if you can follow along, okay? The first thing that you need to do when you're beginning to build something is that you have to have the authority to build it. So imagine down the street, there's a, there's a bunch of houses being built uh, down the street, and if I drove there after this service, and there was a bunch of workers, and they're going, and I just put on my uh, hard hat, and I walked in, and I said, okay, here's the deal. Those bathrooms, they got to move. Get them out of here. And I want the paint color. And I, and I just started ordering people around. They would look at me like, and who are you? What relationship do you have to this person? What gives you the authority to walk in here and start demanding things? Same is true with prayer. Is what gives us the authority to walk into the throne room of God and go, now here's what I'm going to need you to do today for me. You're not allowed to walk into the Oval Office and start demanding things. What makes you think that you're going to get to walk up to the Creator and start demanding things? I think we got to pull back and, and a little bit and realize, you know, um, we are these finite, frail, broken human beings, and we're entering into the presence of an almighty God. So there should be this reverence where we're walking in there, and it's probably not a good idea to just start making demands. And so before we ask God uh, for something, I think it's a good idea to understand our relationship with him, because of course we all know that we approach people differently depending on our relationship with them. And so if I went to downtown LA today, and uh, and I got lost in downtown LA, and I found a stranger, and I said, hey, uh, <laughs> my GPS is broken, and Doyle's not here to help me, you know, find the freeway. <laughs> Can you help me get back to the freeway? Can you give me some directions? And that's a, I think that's a reasonable request based on our relationship. And so they say, okay, no problem. Here's what you got to do, and here's how you get back. Now, let's imagine that same scenario, except I came up to them, and I said, hey, I have this knot in my back. Would you just give me a back rub really quick? They would probably look at me and go, I'm probably going to call the cops on you right now. Or even worse, they would do it. And then I would feel incredibly uncomfortable, and so would they. And it's because it's an unreasonable request based on our relationship. And so before we start asking God for anything, we better kind of figure out what the basis of our relationship is. Because some people, they see their relationship with God like a business partnership. All right, God, let's make a deal. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be a moral person. I'm going to show up for church once in a while. I'm going to drop a 20 in the bucket every six weeks. I'm going to, and we start making deals. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, and then your end of the deal is that you are supposed to make sure that I'm taken care of financially and relationally and physically and emotionally. And, and so I'll hold up my end of the deal if you hold up your end of the deal. And so we try to negotiate with God. Here's the problem. Um, God doesn't need anything from you. Remember, he's king. You're not going to make a deal where he's going, ooh, you would do that with, okay, great deal, awesome. No, he's not, he's not, a, he's not, he doesn't need to make a deal. There's nothing that you can give to him that, that he desires. And I think we also kind of, because of where we live and, and the culture that we live in, we forget what it means to be in a relationship with a king or, or what it looks like to be around a king. I guess for most of human history, if you wanted to enter into the king's presence, you had to be summoned. And if you walked in and you weren't summoned, you would probably be put to death. And if you walked in and you started making commands, it's all over. Really, there's only one relationship where the person can walk into the presence of the king and make requests. In fact, they can wake him up in the middle of the night and start asking for things. And that's the king's children. 
And so this is important because Jesus opens up the Lord's Prayer with our Father. What he's doing here is he's giving us the authority to ask the king for something, but he's also giving us the confidence that the king will, will grant us our requests. Because like a good father, he wants to bless us. He finds joy in bringing these things into our life. In fact, anything that we ask for that will be good for us, he will grant to us. And so we can walk into our prayer time knowing that our Father is ready and willing to meet with us. Second part of construction process so far for me has been um, every time I meet with a different trade or whatever is they ask me, now what is your, what's your goal? What's the vision that you have for this building? What are you hoping to accomplish? And so we start, okay, you know what? We want a place where people can come and they can gather and they can sit and have just real intense and, and honest and real conversations and places where we can just celebrate life and have fun and all the, we, this is the kind of place that we want to build. And I just, I, I get really excited about it. They go, okay, okay. And then we start mapping out, all right, well, here's what you're going to need in order to accomplish those goals that you have. Same is true with the prayer. Prayer is, Jesus says, okay, what is the goal of this prayer? Before we start asking for anything, we better figure out where we're going, what we're aiming for. And the goal is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So the goal is, you're not coming in here to impose your will on mine. It's you're coming in here so that you can align your will with my will. That's the aim. That's what we're going for here. And so once we figured out that that's the purpose, now we can start talking about the things that you're going to need in order to accomplish that. See, what really happens when we begin with this first half of the prayer of realigning and refocusing our life on, on God and on His will, it, uh, it gives us a new perspective. It recenters our life. So in my house, we have um, a really old washing machine. All the buttons are broken off of it, so you kind of have to make it work and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't bother me because I've never used it before, but <laughs> my wife tells me it's difficult. I don't know. Um, but I do have to fix it all the time because I, I have been working on it. I've been trying to keep this thing up and running for years now. And it's funny because at night, um, my wife will put in one more load of laundry before we go to sleep. And it's when the house is calm, everybody's in bed, and I hear this thing. And once in a while, it sounds like it's about to take off and shoot through the roof. <laughs> It'll start rocking and rolling and going crazy. And I'm just like, is someone breaking in? It's like, nah, it's just the washer again. I'm like, oh, okay, you should fix that. Um, because what happens is there's something lopsided about it, and so all the laundry will end up on one side of it, and it'll start getting out of control. And the way that you fix this is you have to stop it, and you have to get the laundry, and you have to recenter everything. Yeah, hopefully you see the connection there is that's what prayer does, is life starts getting crazy, and it's lopsided, and it's chaos, and God goes, you know what, let's just stop, and let's recenter. Because you've started to make something else the center of your life or someone else, and it's starting to spin out of control. And so let's stop and let's reposition all the different things, all the categories of your life around me. And once we do that, you're going to have a different perspective. In fact, the thing that you came to pray about initially, you may not even be praying for anymore. Because I came into my prayer time, and I'm worried, and I'm anxious, and I'm trying to figure out how this is going to work out, and I can't can make sense of it. And then by the time I get to the part where I was going to ask God to do something, I'm reminded, you know, my Heavenly Father's got this. I'm not even worried anymore. In fact, you know what, God? I came in here concerned. You got it. You're going to take care of it. I know that you have my best in mind. And so when we begin with who God is and aligning our will with Him, then we can begin to talk about the things that we need. So let's jump into that part. Matthew 6, 11 says this, Give us today our daily bread. 
And so, of course, the uh, original audience that was hearing this uh, was immediately reminded of the Old Testament story of the Exodus, in which the Israelites were wandering around the desert with Moses, and God would provide for them daily their, uh, their, their, their food, the manna. And the rule was that God said, I'm going to provide for you every day, and you can't collect more than what you need for a single day, because I want you to get up every single day and acknowledge that you're dependent on me for your life. And that's what we do. When we pray that, um, that God will bring us our, our daily bread, what we're really acknowledging is our dependence on him. Because re- but the bread represents sustenance. Lord, I can't get up and do anything without you. You're the one that provides for me. You're the one that sustains my life. You're the one that continues to, to provide in my relationships and in my finances and in, in my health and even in my faith. And so I come to you today and humbly acknowledge that I can do nothing without you. Now, we hate this idea. The, the natural disposition of the human heart is to reject God and try to do it on our own. That was the sin of Adam and Eve, and that has been the sin ever since, is I don't need God. I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps. I'm self-sustaining and self-sufficient, and I'm going to be able to handle this. And when we get up and we say, God, I need you today, we have to humbly acknowledge that we can do nothing without him. It's also asking for what we, we need. As I was researching this passage, there's a a bunch of commentaries, and they had this phrase throughout them, and it's an old saying, and it was this part of the prayer is about asking for our need, not our greed. Asking for our need, not our greed. And there's a verse that goes along with this from the Old Testament, Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I love this prayer because it says, God, it says, God, just make me middle class. Like, I just want to be middle class. I, I just want you. So th- the purpose of my life is to serve you. And so just give me enough in order to, to do that. No more, no less. I just want to serve you and fulfill my purpose in this world. That is not the American prayer, <laughs> right? The American prayer is, Lord, give me more and then more and more and more. No, no, no. God, just, you know what? Just give me enough to be able to serve you faithfully. It's also admitting that we may not know what we really need. Even as we begin to ask God for things, we have to ask for guidance in what we should even be asking for. Because we're convinced that we know what we need, but just a a quick glance at our lives, we know that we don't know. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine that God gave us everything that we believe that we need. Start with my five-year-old son. My five-year-old son uh, recently, I don't know how he got a hold of this, but it was an Amazon toy catalog. I thought we were done with these things. I used to have a Sears catalog back in the day. They no longer send those out. Well, he got a hold of it, and now he has 75 things that he is convinced that he needs. All these toys he needs. And so if God were to grant every request of the things that we thought we'd, we'd have a lot of toys in our house, and we'd probably be minus his sister because he's convinced he does not need her. It's not just true of a five-year-old, though. Of course, if you look at a 15-year-old, 15-year-old you or 15-year-old me, we were convinced. Oh, we were convinced that we just, we need this person. We're in love. There's never been a love so pure as the one that we feel for one another. I need to be with them, and they need to be with me. But then you go many years later, and you find them on Facebook, and you realize, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Oh, I did not need that. (laughs) 
Now, we're adults, and so now we're convinced we, well, <laughs> that was when we were children. We know what we need now. No, you don't. You still don't know what you need because you're not in a position to know what you need. You don't have that type of perspective. God sees the beginning from the end. He knows all of the things that you need far better than you know. And so part of praying, even for the things that we need, is saying, God, I may not know what I need. And so whatever you believe that I need, whatever you give me, I'm going to be good with. I I trust you. In fact, my kids have this saying. The saying never applies to them. It always applies to their sibling when they're having a hard time. Is you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. All right. Someone came up to me after a service and they said, well, you know, there's a, there's a different version of that. It's uh, you get what you get and you're happy with it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not happy with it most of the time, though, so I'll stick with don't throw a fit. But, but that's, you know, sometimes at the end of our prayers, that's where we got to end up is, all right, I don't understand it and I don't really get it and I'm not happy about it, but I trust you. I believe that you have my best in mind. You know what I need. And so even if it doesn't make sense, I will trust that you have my best. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts. And this is about repentance. And there's really two parts of repentance. There's confession and there's commitment. Confession is pretty simple. It's standing in front of God and saying, here's what I did. Here's where I messed up. I knew what you wanted from me and I decided to go the other way anyway. Or it might even be, Lord, I'm so blinded by my own sin that you need to show me the areas that I have failed in. You need to reveal to me the, the attitudes that I've had, the relationships and the people that I've treated poorly. You've got to reveal those things to me. And then it's standing in front of God and saying, okay, I confess these things for you. Not because you didn't know. You already knew. You're just waiting for me to own it. And so God wants us to stand in front of him, not make excuses, not ignore it, not play the blame game, but stand in front of him and say, here's where I messed up. I'm going to own this. This was, this was me. This was my bad. And the, uh, the motivation for this, for many people, is fear, but I think that's wrong. I think the motivation for this, uh, this confession is, is love. The reason why I go and I uh, confess my sins to God is not because I'm afraid he's going to stop loving me or not because he's going to rain down lightning on me or anything like that. The reason why I confess before God is the same reason why I go and if it ever happens I'm wrong, I will confess to my wife uh, why I've messed up. You missed that part, didn't you? Some of you guys like I've never been wrong. That was the, okay, all right. Do you disagree? All right, I'm in the doghouse. Here we go. So when, when, my, when my wife and I, we get in an argument, and I come to my senses, and I realize I've been wrong, I go to her, and I, I apologize. I confess the mistake that I've made, not because I'm afraid of her. She's 95 pounds. I can take her. I'm not worried about that. She's feisty, but I'm pretty sure I'm all right. It's not even because I'm afraid that she's going to stop loving me, because we've committed our lives to one another. And and she may not like me all the time, but I know that she's going to love me. The reason why I go and I confess that I've messed up is because I want to mend that relationship. When I've done something wrong, it's created this relational conflict between us. And I hate seeing um, somebody whom I love hurt, especially when I'm the one who's done the hurting. And so the reason why I go and I try to reconcile and I confess the mistake that I've made is because I want to resolve that conflict. I think the same is true with our faith is we go and we confess before God, here's what I've done, and I just want to resolve this conflict between you and I. 
I understand that all my sins have been forgiven, that when I accept Christ, that all of my past and present and future sins are, are wiped away, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to resolve our relational conflict. Of course I do. I hate hurting the people that I love. And so I come before you, and I say, here's where I've messed up. And here's the great thing about being a Christian, is we can, we can go in front of God without fear, knowing that our sins have been taken uh, has been paid for us, and so now we can say, you know what, here are my mess-ups. Here they are, and I know that you love me, and I know that you continue to forgive me, and so I can stand in front of you, and I can willingly admit, here's where I've messed up. This is also about uh, not only uh, confession, but about commitment, is when I confess what I've done, I'm also committing to, here's how I'm going to change. I'm no longer going to do this any longer. I commit to, uh, to change, and I think this is where some of us get confused. So maybe you were like me. I grew up in the church, and uh, one of the things I was taught was when you sin uh, and you confess it and you ask for forgiveness, God takes that sin and he throws it in the deepest sea and he forgets about it. And when I heard that, I thought, I have found a loophole. Here's what I can do. I can go all week, and I tried this for a long time, I can go all week, and I can sin, 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 and I'll fill up my sin bucket, and then once it starts getting really full, and it's kind of weighing on me, and I'm feeling a little bit guilty, I'll go, and I'll say, God, will you forgive me for all that stuff, and then he just empties it out, and I can go back to filling it up again, and I'll see you next week, right? No, that's not how this works. See, part of repentance is not only confessing the things that I've done, but also committing to no longer doing them anymore, and so if we are, if we're confessing because it's going to make us feel better about ourselves or it's somehow going to leverage God, we've missed the point. Repentance is about confessing and committing to no longer doing it again. And the second part of that is, as we have also forgiven our debtors, Jesus makes an interesting connection here. He says that you will be forgiven to the degree that you forgive other people, which we kind of go, ooh, I like being forgiven. I'm not sure about having to forgive other people. And there's an important distinction here is forgiving others is not a prerequisite for forgiveness, but it is an indication that you have truly repented and received forgiveness. And so it's not like, you know what, um, because I've withheld forgiveness, I'm not going to uh, receive forgiveness. It's no, it's I have been forgiven of so much. I see the debt that I have owed God and that he has given me the undeserved forgiveness, and so because I see that I am willingly going to forgive other people, it's being able to see your own debt, and so forgiving other people's debt. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And when we read this, this is kind of, if you're familiar with the Bible, it's kind of strange because the scripture says that God cannot tempt us, and so what does it mean for him to to lead us not into temptation. Well, temptation can be uh, translated as trial or test as well. And so it's really saying two things. It's either uh, one, asking God for protection or asking him for perseverance. It's a prayer of protection in times of temptation and trial because as Christians, we get up every single day and we say, God, lead us. Show us where you want us to go. Show us what, what you want us to do. And so part of that prayer is, and also lead us away from moments of trials and temptations. See, you see where the enemy has put snares in order to entrap us, and yet you will guide us around those. Help us to be able to see the things that we don't see. Help us to be able to avoid the things that, that we may walk into. It's also a prayer of perseverance during uh, times of trial and temptation. 
Of course, everyone in this world, including Jesus, experienced trials and temptation. And so during those times, it's a prayer that we would be able to push through with his help and continue to be faithful. And so here's my challenge. Is that we're about 30 days away from Christmas. And Doyle, as he began this series, his vision was that this prayer would help us prepare for uh, the Christmas season. And so I want to challenge you. We got about a month until Christmas. What if you got up and you prayed this prayer for 20 minutes every day? And not just the words, of course, but you went through and, and you used it as a structure, as instructions for you to be able to pray through your life. What if you got up and you did this for 30 days? Yes, you may not be very good at it, and it might be really difficult, and you've tried, you know, praying before, and it didn't work, but what if you just gave it a shot? So for me, I was taught um, how to pray my entire life, and I was given different acronyms, and so one of the acronyms that I have always used was ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Well, there's different acronyms to help you structure your prayer, and let me give you another one. I heard this one is from one of my favorite pastors, and uh, I think it's a good thing to remember. It's DSA, Declare, Surrender, Acknowledge. First is declare God's greatness. So just begin by talking about who God is, acknowledging his character, acknowledging his power, acknowledging the forgiveness that he has given us. Surrender your will. Sit there and not just say, Lord, I want your will, but actually believing it. Okay, the point of me praying right now is not to impose my will, but is to have your will in my life. And then acknowledge. Acknowledge your dependence and need for him to provide and to pardon and to protect. Okay, just real quick. If you get nothing else, here's your takeaway. Okay, so if you've been ignoring me this whole time, just here we go, all right? Give me 30 seconds. This is the takeaway time. Get off your phones. Okay, here we go. <laughs> if you can implement DSA, and not just the declare and surrender acknowledge, but just this part. If you just do this, don't start off asking, that's a win. If you'll just try that, just go into your prayer time and you don't start off asking, hey, I'll take it. Just start by acknowledging who God is and how you need him and, and then you can get to the asking part. But if you just try, if you're not even willing to do the whole Lord's Prayer, if you just don't start off asking, Jesus makes us a promise. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer when he's teaching them how to pray, he says, if you pray this way, if you pray in this way, the Lord's Prayer, you're gonna get a reward. Whoa, a reward, I like rewards. He says, if you pray this, it's going to work 100% of the time. That's a pretty good guarantee. Now, I'm not saying that the reward is going to be now he's gonna give you everything that you want and all these, we've already kind of discovered we don't even know what we need. But the reward might be something even better than what you were asking for. It might be peace, it might be comfort, it might be assurance that you know that God is walking with you today, and that's far better than anything that you could have asked for. And so from now till Christmas, I would ask that you would join in with the rest of our church in sitting for 20 minutes and asking God, Lord, would you meet us here? W would you just spend a couple minutes with me? And just declaring his greatness here's who you are, and when I talk about who you are, that just starts to put things in perspective, and my problems don't feel so big, and Lord, you, you see what I don't see, and so I surrender my will to you, and I acknowledge that I need you in all these arenas of my life, and if you will do that, you will find a reward.
Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for who you are and your character and your goodness and the fact that you can see things that we can't see. And when the world feels out of control and it feels like there is chaos and we don't understand how things are going to work out, we can rest assured that you have a plan. A plan that we may not be able to understand or see, maybe not even on this side of heaven. And so, Lord God, we just come and we say that we trust you. We trust that you have our best in mind. We thank you for continuing to bribe. You've given us more than we could have ever earned or deserved. And so, Lord God, we come humbly and we ask that you would walk with us today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.